Hello, and welcome to this half-hour dose of weekly Jewish spirituality, brought to you by Mishkan's Thursday Morning Minyan. Jews have a tradition of praying three times a day, and at Mishkan, we have a daily virtual Minyan at 8 a.m. Central to get your day started. Folks, join us from across the country and across the world as we begin each day with words and songs of gratitude, inspiration, healing, and Torah. If you miss us in the morning, join us here every week for the replay of our Thursday Minyan, hosted by me, Rabbi Lizzie Heidemann. During my sabbatical, I know you'll enjoy hearing from the voices of Rabbi Stephen and guest leaders. Without further ado, I invite you to breathe a little deeper, connect a little more with yourself, with God, with Torah, with this community, and with the world around you, wherever you are, whatever your time zone. So we're going to turn to our Torah reading this week, which is Parshat Bo. We are in the 10th chapter of the book of Exodus. We are in the midst of the story of our people's liberation from slavery in Egypt. This is the Passover story. Um, Bo opens with yet another plague uh, befalling the Egyptian people um, brought about. Well, here's the question that I'm having. Why was this plague brought about? Um, We have the story of Pharaoh's heart being hardened, um, but it seems like it's being hardened by God. Um, Pharaoh seems to want to capitulate, um, and his people certainly want him to let the Israelites go. Um, But there seems to be an interesting interplay here uh, between Pharaoh's own obstinance and also God's purposeful hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And so the question I'm sitting with is, why? Why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Uh, Hasn't enough suffering already happened? Um, Haven't the Egyptian people and the Israelite people seen enough signs and wonders how terrifying those might be um, to uh, to bring about what God wants, which is the liberation of the Jewish people? Um, or is there something else? Um, is there another purpose uh, for this hardening of Pharaoh's heart? We're going to say the blessing over reading Torah together, which is La'asuk, B'divrei Torah, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedeshanu B'mitzvotav, Vitzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you who brings holiness into our lives through our actions, asking us to busy ourselves with words of Torah. I'll read a few verses in Hebrew, read them in English, and then we'll open it up to discussion. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe bo el paro kiani Hichbadati et libo et lev avdav leman shiti o tatai elai elai bekir bo uman tesaper beozne vincha oven vincha Et asher hit alalti bemitzraim veotatai asher shamati bam viadatem kiani adonai veavo moshe veaharon el paro vayom ru elav ko amar adonai elohe ha ivrim Hadmatai me anta le onot mi panai shalach ami veyav dunim ki im maen ata le sholeach 
את עמי, הנני מביא מחר הרבה בגבולך. Good words in there. Um, so here we go. Then God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his courtiers, literally servants of the Hebrew, in order that I might display these, my signs among them. And that you may recount in the hearing of your children and your children's children, how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I displayed my signs among them in order that you may know that I am Adonai, your God. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, they may worship me. For if you refuse to let my people go, tomorrow I'll bring locusts on your territory. If we continue in the English, it says, They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They shall devour the surviving remnant that was left to you after the hail. They shall eat away all your trees that grow the field. You'll fill your palaces, the houses of your courtiers and of all Egyptians, something that neither your fathers and your father's fathers have seen from the day they appeared on earth to this day. With that, he turned and left Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh's courtiers said to him, how long shall this one be a snare to us? Let a delegation go to worship their God. Are you not yet aware that Egypt is lost? So here's my question for you. There seems to be some rationale given to hardening Pharaoh's heart, um, and one, uh, one kind of moment of tension I see here that's so fascinating is we see at the beginning here that God says, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, but then Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? Um, when they know that there is a reason, it seems, that Pharaoh's refusing, and it's because of this hardening of the heart. So I, I'm just curious. I want to open it up to conversation on what people think about, um, think about this uh, interaction here. So Susanna said in the chat, disturbing bullying behavior is it a display for the Hebrews. I could do this to you too. Like stay in line, like, like be careful as you go into the future. Uh, Gail. It seemed like God was playing mind games. Say more. Just kind of exercising power to mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. I can do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a little disturbing. It's a little disturbing <laughs> to see this. Nicole. So I think it's interesting. It says that God will harden the heart of both Pharaoh and the courtiers, but the courtiers are like, dude, this is a, we're a lost. Like, so their hearts aren't hard. So there's a already a, you know, a, a disjuncture between the first portion and the experience of the second portion that the, you know, God says he's going to harden or God says God is going to harden both the sets of hearts but in fact, only one of them ends up being hard. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't really notice that disparity. And it makes you wonder, actually, did God harden everybody's hearts um, only to a degree? And that actually kind of Pharaoh's continued obstinacy is, is Pharaoh's own, potentially. Sherry asked, what does it truly mean to harden a heart? There's actually a, a, a debate about um, what exactly this word means. Um, among some of the rabbis, I believe it was Ibn Ezra, right? Um, to kind of either to 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 set um, to set against um, uh, words, um, uh, or that um, 
or it's to to make to make unmovable, right? There's a there's a there's a debate about what exactly this means. Um, I think it's on Miriam and then Leia. I going back to what Susanna said. I actually thought that the signs and the symbols were more intended for the Israelites than the Egyptians. That I mean, we see later that we go and worship the golden calf as soon as Moses is up the mountain for a couple of days. So it seems to me that God is previewing his power for the Hebrews, not as much for the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And as Nicole pointed out in the chat, um, we are later described as a stiff necked people. Uh, so, um, right. So that this might actually be, uh, very much a lesson for it. And it, and it is in, in the text, right. That God says, right. This is really f- so that you will tell the story, right. Um, to your children, your children's children. Um, uh, there's a, a purpose there. That's not just for the Egyptians, not just making a mockery of the Egyptians, but also, um, uh, a, a lesson for the Israelites. Uh, Leah. Yeah. I'm, um, going back to what, Sherry said, and then circling in what Miriam and Susanna have pointed out. Um, And in this series of episodes where God hardens Pharaoh's heart and Moses and Aaron come and there are plagues, like we see two words in Hebrew get used to describe whatever is going on with Pharaoh's heart. One is lechazak, which means like to strengthen. But here we see lechaved, which like... I've always struggled with this translation choice that 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 um we are using this to harden Pharaoh's heart because I think if we look at it rather as um Pharaoh's heart has been made heavy, which is probably a to my mind a more direct or obvious translation, I wonder if we're dealing with depression here mm. honestly mm. um and I wonder if the ultimate goal is to okay so speaking for myself when i am in the depths of a depressive episode i get very stuck in my rigid pre-programmed modes of thinking and being until i have some external uh sign that something is not quite right and i need external help um and I'm candidly wondering if that doesn't sort of recontextualize this relation, this this um, account, this this episode a little bit, because it makes it to me feel less punitive and more um, like instructive. Mm. Mm. You know, it's actually it's really beautiful. Um, and and seeing Ricky in the chat was um, uh, pointing out right that Rashi chose chooses to translate it as heavy. A heavy heart as well, um, both because the story in so many ways is about really um, transforming the world as people have kind of come to expect it to be and introducing a new possibility of the world as it could be. Um, and it's not just the um, Egyptians who have a hard time seeing a future, right, where the Israelites are not slaves. The Israelites themselves have a very hard time seeing a future in which they're not slaves. Um, it takes a lot right, to move um, multiple peoples into a different way of being. Um, and, and sometimes these kinds of revolutions are very painful. 
um, right, to move out of where we've been stuck for so long, I mean, 400 years, according to the text, where we've been stuck for so long, right, to both inspire the possibility of change within the Israelites, but also um, to show the Egyptians that there might be a different way forward as well. Um, I, I, I really love this interpretation. It's actually, um, I think it was Rambam uh, who points out that um, the continuation of the plagues is not a punishment for the hardening of the heart. Um, it is um, it is both a display of God's power and retribution for 400 years of slavery. So he's, he's very careful to say, like, the plagues are not coming because of the hardened heart, right? The plagues are actually coming because of the status quo, right? This kind of continued yeah. slavery of the, of the Israelites. Um, so I also you. wonder if the pre-existing relationship between Pharaoh and Moses is an exacerbating factor of this whole mental fuck because of course yeah because you know it's his stepbrother foster brother adopted brother who is now telling him that uh he needs to completely torpedo the entire economy of the country for which he is responsible for the thousands and thousands of people for whom he is responsible like mm -hmm. that just must be so painful mm-hmm and that's where I love the contemporary midrash of <laughs> Prince of Egypt, uh, as, as anybody who's <laughs> known me for a while knows how much I love that movie. But I actually, you know, I actually see it as a contemporary midrash, right? A contemporary expansion of the story. And one element that that movie, I think, introduces so beautifully, right, is the, um, the place where Pharaoh feels caught, right, between wanting to uh, give his stepbrother what his stepbrother wants and also this deep responsibility he feels for the country that he's leading and an inability to see a future of a thriving country without the way things have been, right? He wants to build upon the past, not rupture with it. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Eric? Yeah, I just uh, wanted to come back to, um, I forgot who was talking about how the it said the courtiers' hearts were hardened, but it seemed like maybe they weren't. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about the whole concept of, you know, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Um, you know, maybe the extent to which the courtiers' heart was hardened meant that they, you know, just continued to you know, give Pharaoh advice as though, you know, they were just doing their jobs like normal rather than recognizing that, you know, this was an extraordinary situation and maybe they needed to actually like not obey Pharaoh. Mm. Mm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, that, right. They, they kind of come to him complaining, right. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, they, they themselves, they're actually, oh, shoot. I wonder if I wonder where I wonder if I can find it. There was I was reading through a bunch of the commentary, um, and there was uh, one that was really emphasizing that the signs and wonders are also um, right to move again to move the Egyptians into a new way of being, um, both a sense of of like who God is, um, and also a, a sense of I think that kind of revolutionary. Um, uh, mindset, right? That, that we can actually, we need to be part of the change, not just passive to, not just passive to what's happening or even complicit, um, in the status quo. Um, so I think absolutely right to actually maybe inspire the courtiers to be more like the midwives that we read about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the ones who defied the system, um, despite being given orders, um, to do terrible things. Um, all, all good stuff. All good stuff. Thank you all for studying a bit of Torah with me today.
You've been listening to Contact Chai, a production of Mishkan Chicago. If you were inspired or informed by this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that others can encounter our work. And if you appreciate what Mishkan is doing, I invite you to join as a builder or make a donation on our website at mishkanchicago.org. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.